it's really not a good use of your time to be interviewing anyone who doesn't have the basic skills because it's really easy to just fall in love with somebody. They're so wonderful and them not being skilled for the job. So you need to have them make sure that they're skilled and make sure that they have that right profile that's going to really be a good fit for the role. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands-Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hello, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands-Off CEO Podcast. Today, our topic is how I cut 20 hours off of my work week with an amazing executive assistant, also known as a chief bottleneck breaker. So one of the main intentions for me sharing this is that I was going to record something for our clients and within our tribe and our operations academy as part of our Skill to Freedom program, we spend a lot of time focusing on hiring and developing training and really letting go and passing it off to an operations manager who can run the business, who can manage your team and who can really execute your vision. So that is primarily a big core piece of what we do at Hands Off CEO. And then we also help the CEO build the foundations to scale and get the right price point in place and do all the things that you need to, to have the the cash flow coming in and continual growth happening while the team is taking over those other pieces. But one of the things that I'm noticing is that a number of our clients, they have that role in place or they're starting to get that role in place, but they also just need basically a little operations manager for themselves. They need an executive assistant who can take them as the bottleneck and be able to help free up a lot of their time. So what I have personally found is that this role in our business has freed me up no less than 20 hours per week. And not to mention there's a lot of just soul-sucking tasks that I don't like doing, but something that needs to be noted is this is a long-term type of position. And the way a lot of people approach getting a lot of these little tasky things off their plate is these one-off little tasky things, which is just the complete wrong way to go about doing this. I wanted to record something for our clients. So I thought, you know what, why don't we just record it on the podcast and then, you know, our whole audience can benefit from it. So I have spoken on the podcast before about how to hire an operations manager. Those are still really great episodes. There are some things that are constantly changing in our industry and with a job market. So there are some things that I would update from some of those episodes just to know that because I recorded them two or three years ago and we've continued to learn more things, but everything in there is still solid. It's just that there are just a few nuances that have changed as far as hiring and the demand for labor has changed so that everything that I've shared in the past is still relevant, but it needs to be just dialed up quite a bit. So one other reason I wanted to share this, the, the timeliness of this is that we've had some changes on our team. And what happened is, is we had this really great executive assistant who went on and moved on to another role in her career. And she was with us through some of the time when she was in college. It was just a natural progression for her to take on the role as an executive assistant. And the time just went up. And now we were looking for 
someone to replace that. And the timing of that was interesting because I got the notice just like a day before I was leaving on my vacation to Iceland. So I'm looking at this and saying, wow, this is interesting, right? But I was able to be completely out of all of the the sourcing of the talent, the screening up until just the very end. So by the time I had gotten back from my trip, it was about a 10-day trip. We had a couple of really good candidates in place and one who I was very happy with. I basically only had to do very small amount of work to be able to get this person up to speed and into place. So I would say about 95% hands-off in getting this role up to place. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is so you can have a vision of what it can be like in your company if you have your team completely taking over the day-to-day of sourcing talent and screening talent, and you actually be the one just coming into the last stages. One of the roles as a CEO I do want to just mention as well is sourcing good talent. This doesn't mean that you're not going to be always on the lookout within your connections for really good talent. That's not what this means. But what this does mean is is that you can run a hiring process within your team. They can run it completely without you and you can just show up in the last pieces. So I want to just share that so so you can see the vision on this. There's going to be a few different sections of this. And what I want to share with you is what is an executive assistant going to be doing? How to monetize this role? What are you looking for? What are you not looking for? where to find them, and how to screen them. So I'm going to go through this as as efficiently as I can, but there's a lot here. We have a whole hiring success system that we have our clients walk through, but there's a few nuances for executive assistants that I wanted to do a training for for our clients. That's what we're doing right here. Also, I want to, to be clear that this is really for companies, that, especially when you have the CEO. I want to make this clear that This is especially relevant for CEOs as you are having a million dollar and up company. If you have a million dollar company and you do not have an executive assistant, like I just want to just take you by the shoulders and shake you right now, okay? I am so bizarrely just shocked at how many executives do not have a good quality assistant for themselves. And it is the key to my own sanity. It's the key that allows me to be able to spend a day per week just focused on CEO high-level things. It allows me to be able to take a three-day weekend every week and just be able to choose to work how I want. And then I can get really deep focused on those other three days where I'm in the office and where I'm client-facing and where I am having a lot more interaction with the team. This is really an ideal place where you want to get to as a CEO because it gives you that time and a focus to go really deep in the areas in the business where you can improve. Also, just be able to focus on the things that are going to drive growth forward in your company. So I want you to think about it from this perspective. A lot of people are thinking, well, you know, how do I be able to monetize this role? Because here's the thing is an executive assistant costs a lot more now than it used to. I'll just be straight with that. A really good one is going to cost more now than it did three years ago. So you really need to be looking at how are you going to monetize that extra time that they're going to free up for you. Well, think about it this way. If you followed up with five prospects per week, and let's say that you reached out to 10 new prospects per week, you got really clear on who that the most ideal soulmate client is, and you reached out to 10 new of them per week and something cool, something outrageous, something that's going to get their attention, right? 
And let's say that out of 10 that you reach out to, that's 40 a month. And let's say that out of 40 a month, you're able to generate 10 calls. And let's imagine that out of the 20 that you're following up with per month and the 10 additional calls that you have, let's imagine that you close two deals from that. And that might take a little while for the sales cycle to catch up, right? But let's imagine you were able to close two deals. Let's just put a really small amount, $50,000 deals. Maybe that's a middle of the road kind of deal, just depending on where your company is at. Now, that's an extra $100,000 a month in sales. That's over a million dollars per year. Let's say you're going to be really conservative and only do that 10 months out of the year. That's a million dollars of extra growth just from you freeing up 10 extra hours with an assistant. So I want you just to see how that adds up and why it's so important to be freeing you up as one of the biggest bottlenecks in the business. Here's what they're going to be doing. This executive assistant is basically like your little mini project manager. They're like there to like manage you, especially if you're more of a creative entrepreneur. It's very useful to have this person. What they're doing is basically pushing projects through that you might own, make sure that nothing slips through the cracks so that you can focus on priorities that they can really do on dozens of hours of work and delegate parts that they can't do to other people, but just they can oversee all of that so that they bring it to you in the most polished format. And then you can be looking at that and it just change a few things. And then they can allow you to remove a lot of work off of your plate that just really is not fun for you. They can go through your communications and they can escalate to the right person so that you don't even see certain emails. It can really be that firewall between you and clients and uh, really send out the communications to the right people who need to be communicating with them. So this is especially important if you're having problems with clients constantly trying to get you to respond to them personally. So how do you be able to have your team proactively reaching out to them before you can reach out to them as like a great way to increase service, right? But it's in a way that allows you to be removed from all of the parts of the service except for the strategy pieces if you're the key strategist in the business. But really, this is like having another brain. I see it as having another brain for myself, but a much more orderly one and another brain that's all managed into this beautiful project management system. And by the way, they may have been the one who actually did the research on the right project management system, laid it out and set it all up for you. I mean, those are some things that a good executive assistant can do, but really their job is just to like be that fierce bulldog that's going to protect you and your schedule and your energy from all the outside influences that are constantly trying to get at you. One of the things that we find as we continue to grow our companies, that there's just more and more of that. So we need to be able to have proactive strategies to protect ourselves from the noise so that we can think and we have the time and space to grow. The other nice thing is it can be a stress valve for other leaders on your team. You know, you could actually have an executive assistant supporting you and maybe your operations manager. And at some point, you'll grow past that and you'll need to divide up the role. But really, this can cut your work week in half and also dramatically decrease your stress. And one of the other things is I've found that an executive assistant is just better at doing a lot of these things than I am. They can more efficiently go through and research these things than I might have done. Or, you know, those little things, they have to be doing some research, like calling up certain authorities to find out what you need to be able to move this thing forward maybe a new credit card processing system. Like you shouldn't be the one going and doing all the research there. They can bring it all to you and you can make the decision and then they can move it forward so that you don't have to be involved in those types of things. The other nice thing is 
they can build out the systems too. Those are the, some of the kinds of things that they can do. Now, what are you looking for in a good executive assistant? I used to think earlier in my business career that I preferred to be the one training them up. I thought that I could just have things done the, exactly the way I want. And now I know I was just being cheap. <laughs> Get an experienced person. You want to have at least five years of experience. And I want you to think about if you're looking at hiring somebody who is, you know, a little cheaper, I want you to just really think about, are you confident enough in your own abilities that if you focus that time on generating more growth, that you'll be able to actually generate more growth? Are you confident in that? If you were not confident that, hey, if I spent 10 extra hours per week, I could generate another half a million dollars of growth this year. If you don't have that level of confidence in your business, then you need that time even more so that you can focus on what it's going to take to be able to build those foundations in your company so you can create that predictable growth and always have that confidence that you can generate more growth anytime that you would like to. But again, cheap is expensive. This is a profit center in your business because your time is the most valuable time in the business and use that time to generate more sales. Use that time to free up capacity for clients. What you're looking for is an anal retentive and focused person that they're willing to learn. They take feedback. For me, looking at a staff member who takes feedback is top three. If they don't take feedback, I don't want them on our team. That's something that we've gotten really strict about over the years because you can't teach someone something if they're going to get their panties in a twist every time you give them some feedback. We like to give feedback in the moment and our best top A players, they love getting feedback in the moment. They love being around other people who are operating at that level. Those who are not top performers find feedback uncomfortable and they can get their feelings hurt, right? So you really want someone who is going to be able to take feedback and obviously you want to give constructive feedback, be positive and encouraging, but if they can't take feedback, next. During our screening process, we do have exercises that allow us to give feedback to see how they respond to it and how they change and take that feedback and integrate it into what they're doing. We also want to look at fit for your culture. They need to fit your values. At Hands Off CEO, we have lots of personality. Our brand is a little bit edgy. We want someone who is going to see that as an asset, who's going to want to express themselves in a professional way. But that's one of the things that we've heard from some members of our team is that they wanted an environment where they could really be themselves. And that's some of the things that we we hear from our clients too, where they have team members that will join from having these really awesome high-paid corporate jobs and they come and join their team because they want to be part of a culture and an environment where they can be themselves. That's an example of how our culture fits. Your culture might be different than that and that's okay. But just being clear on what that culture is and finding people who are going to be aligned with that so that your culture adds value to them and that they really like being part of it. All right, so what you are not looking for, someone inexperienced like I talked about. I remember I had had this VA from the Philippines. She's a wonderful person. She helped out a lot and she was able to do good work. But I found that I was constantly checking up and making sure that it, everything was done right. I mean, to the point where she would like take screenshots of any work that she did to send it to me to show me that she actually did it. On one hand, I thought that's interesting. I, I like that because I can actually like, there's proof that it was done. But on the other hand, it's just like, it's exhausting. We have to be at the level where I have to be checking up on their work. If you have the right person, you're not going to have to do that. 
that goes without saying, because you probably have people in your organization right now that you don't have to check up on and you've seen what that's like. But just know that it's possible for someone to be like a whole other brain to you that is really smart and who is proactive and sees these things and anticipates problems before you're even aware of them when it comes to your calendar, when it comes to your email, when it comes to just looking ahead two, three, four weeks out and really the year and making sure that you're not overcommitted, that you're not overbooked. And that if you are, that they are taking care of that without you even having to be part of that, part of the changes that need to be made. Something else you want to be aware of and not fall into the trap of is be careful to not hire someone who needs an office environment if you have a remote environment. Most of our clients actually have remote businesses or have moved their business to almost all remote after some of the changes with the pandemic. There are some people who like to work in an office environment and they need to have that day-to-day -day interaction and they're just not as well suited to an office environment. So we like to look for staff members that they have good reasons of why they want to be working from home, from a home office. They could be working at an office and get office space if they want to, but really most of our team members are going to be working from home. So I like to look at what are some of the variables that they might have in place for their life that might make them really value this. So for some of them being close to their family, close to children, they still need to have a place that they can dedicate time and that they're not going to be distracted by their children, but being able to have that space to be able to be close to their children. I know as a parent, I really value that. And that's why I started my business because I wanted a career that allowed me to continue to grow but I didn't want to have to go and have like an hour long commute. All of that just sounded terrible. And that flexibility is something that you can give them if that's part of the culture and it's part of what works. So also avoid staffing centers. Here's the thing is that there are times for those, but this is not one of those times you want to have a full dedicated person. 30 to 40 hours per week is a good thing to be thinking about. You want 100% access to them. And if you don't feel like you have enough time if you don't have enough tasks for them for a full-time position, well, once you get them on and onboarded, you might find otherwise. You might find they're able to do all sorts of other things for the business as well. And you can give them multiple hats that they can take on and it can turn into a more of a full-time position. Now, there are some times that people have circumstances where they want to be working 20, maybe 30 hours per week. And it works well for them in their schedule because maybe they're a working parent and that's full-time for them. So great. Just make sure that you're finding someone who's really committed and wants to be focusing long-term. Just finding that right fit. We've done the whole gamut of all that. And really at the end of the day, what I prefer, 30 to 40 hours per week, someone who's going to be able to get it full-time focus. That's the way I see it. That's what we've found works the best. But I do know that you can be successful with half-time employees or contractors. Just be careful that you're not their side hustle. That's the thing. An executive assistant, you do not want to be their side hustle. I've been in that situation before. And when we were hiring at the time, we said, you know, it's okay if you're in school. It's okay if you're just part-time in school. It's okay if you maybe have a side hustle. Those kind of things are okay. But one of the things I found is, is that they're really not in a place, unless this is a like a career move for them that they're going to grow into from their education. I don't find that it works very well. And I have found that there was a project manager hired like that. And I found out that we were the side hustle. It wasn't so much fun. Also look out for those people who have emotional neediness or validation 
if they're really chatty or if they're passive, you need an assertive person who can manage you and be that firewall between you and everyone else vying for your time. So some roles that we have found in the past that have not been such a good fit for an executive assistant role, a realtor or someone who's had experience being a realtor in the past, an entrepreneur, salesperson, like any of those profiles we've found have not been a very good fit. I'd probably eliminate those unless it's an overall amazing application. I also really like someone who has had a lot of experience managing either a ton of other executives. Maybe they were in an office environment, let's say a dental office, you know, the dental office, they're managing dentists, they're managing the people in the front, all of these files. That is a person who is very versatile and can think on their feet. And they also have really great communication skills too. Those are just some examples of situations that work, situations that not work so well from what we've experienced. All right. So where do you find them? You can find them from recruiters. There are some companies that will actually do recruiting and help you find these assistants, but you still need to screen them and be careful where they come from. I have never found an executive assistant from the Philippines that I have just been in love with. They're virtual assistants. And I have just not had, maybe if they're a project manager or that level, but I just have never been able to find it from that country. There are some other countries though, like in the Eastern Europe, definitely have the high level problem solving skills that I would be okay with, but they wouldn't have matched enough hours for me. So I don't know if that would be a good fit for me. So this is a role that I usually would hire from US, Canada, or anyone in that time zone. It's not so picky about the country as much as it is being in the time zone and having some overlap. Even if they're willing to do overlap with you from another country, think about the longevity of the position and if them working through the night is going to be a good long-term position for such an important role in your company. This is somebody you want to be hiring for that's going to be staying for three years plus in your company. And ideally, after three years, you actually grooming them for a more of a higher leadership role in the company because after three years, they'll have grown so much in the company that they might want to take the next step. All right, other places to find them. Flex Jobs is a place that we've had good success with. LinkedIn, this last hiring, we were able to find lots of really great candidates from LinkedIn and it was a paid post. Other job boards, there's lots of really great job boards that all you have to do is turn on the TV or look anywhere online and you'll be able to get ads for these job boards. They're all over the place. What's most important is is that you have a compelling job ad and be looking at why would they want to work at your company? What will they learn? What's the lifestyle they can have? You know, what is the BS that they don't have to deal with? I kind of touched on some of that before, but it needs to be a compelling job ad that's really going to attract in your best person that they come ready for your interview, doing all this research about your company because they want this job. And every time we run a hiring funnel for our company, that's how they show up. That's what we see for our clients too, because we help them create that compelling job ad. We help them be able to structure, look at their company for how do you be able to make your company be a really awesome place to work at? And when you can really be positioning your company that way, that's how you can be able to compete in this very competitive job market. Also, I like to look at the downsides of working at your company. Who's not going to appreciate some of those challenges? We talked a little bit about the remote position. For some people, it's going to be a great value add. For some people, it will not. Those are some things that I like to look at as the downsides. I like to look at what are three things, at least three things outside of money 
that would motivate this person to want to work for our company? What are those three things that are really important to them that have nothing to do with money? You want to be able to make sure you have those things because then when another company comes to offer them more money, and most definitely they will in this market, you will see they're, they're probably getting job opportunities in their LinkedIn inbox on a weekly basis, if not daily. Take that into consideration for how you're able to be competitive and really make a home for them. That's actually one of the top things that we hear from some of our best staff members is like, I'm really looking for a place that I can call home. How can you create that home for them? Screening. Touched a little bit on screening as far as the exercises. We, I talked a little bit about exercises, but you want to know your risk factors. Where have you failed in the past for this role if you've hired this role in the past? Or what are you most concerned about? And then you can ask questions to flesh those things out. So you want to always ask open-ended questions that do not seed the answer that you want. Unfortunately, most companies, when they're hiring, ask questions that are seeding the answer. And of course, they're going to get the answer that is positive and they're going to just take you for a ride. I don't blame them. Their candidates are looking for a job, but really you need to have questions that are going to help you be able to really evaluate whether this person's going to be a good fit for the role. So an example of this is a question like, tell me about a time when you worked in a fast-paced environment that's hard to keep up. So notice it's tell me about a time when, and what you're looking for is, very specific answers. So these are situational-based questions. This comes out of the book, Hiring for Attitude by Mark Murphy. And when you're evaluating questions, you're looking for very specific answers. Where I learned this from is top grading, Bradford Smart. That's another great book on hiring. And someone who is telling the truth and has good experience is going to be very specific and tell you a very specific incidence that explains the whole situation as opposed to someone who is vague and they just kind of talk about it instead of really inserting themselves into it. That's one of the ways that you can tell. And if you interview enough people, you'll be able to see that right away. It gets very clear and you want to be training your team on how to hire them this way, by the way. It's also helpful if you have a perfect candidate you have in mind. This might even go before the job ad, right? But you want to be thinking about, have you had this position in the company before? We've had two really good people in this role before. One of them is now our program director and the other one was person who just left. And so the two really good candidates and we can look at, this is the exact profile we're looking for. And that's one of the reasons why we were able to find a really good quality person in less than two weeks because we knew exactly what we were looking for. And we had a very compelling job ad and we attracted in a couple hundred candidates. And then we were able to screen through and just go in and pick through the very top candidates who were also the most interested in in the role. So you can profile them based on if you've already had this role, you can also profile them based on other companies. So I remember there was a client that we worked with who had this exceptional assistant and the way that she communicated with me on the phone to ask for new credit card information, I was just so impressed with her assertiveness, but she was so polite. And I said, man, we wanna have someone just like this. That was another example of someone earlier on in our business that, I used as some inspiration. Also, it could be outside. So for example, I don't know if you've seen the movie Sabrina with Harrison Ford, but Harrison Ford is this really big, high-powered CEO. And he has this executive assistant who is just this bulldog. And she's incredible at blocking everybody from him to the point where she's like chasing after someone trying to run into the office. 
And just the energy that she had was like, ooh, I love that. So that's another inspiration that I've drawn on too. So getting that perfect candidate can help you be able to know who you're writing to, that job ad. And also when you're screening them, do they have those characteristics that you're actually looking for? Another thing that we like to use is Colby A assessment and what you're looking for in the Colby A. All right, in the Colby A assessment, what you're looking for is a very specific score, okay? You're looking for high fact finder. So seven or above for high fact finder. Seven to nine is a good high fact finder for this role, especially the case if you're not a high fact finder. I am not high fact finder. I am I'm more of a simplifier. Having the high fact finder is crucial for me. Having a high follow through. So they need to have a high follow through on a scale of one to 10. Having six or above is ideal. You'll want to have at least a couple points higher than the CEO. So if the CEO already has a higher follow through, some CEOs do. A lot of them don't, but you want to have a couple points higher. So my follow through is about a five, which is a little higher than a lot of CEOs, but I need to have somebody at least at seven or above. For a follow through, you're going to want at least a six or above for follow through, because if they're not enough ahead of you, then you're going to feel like you have to be chasing after them, which doesn't feel good, right? You also want a low quick start, so under four but that's really the profile that you're looking for using the Colby A. The other part of screening is to give them exercises that are going to help you look at how they actually do the job. That's going to be the one of the most important things is how are they actually doing the job? So one of the things that we're looking for in this role is someone who can be able to communicate effectively with anyone who comes into my inbox and who's going to be able to manage my calendar. We're going to give them tasks that are aligned with both of those roles. Those are two of the most important things. We're also going to be looking at how do they communicate? We're going to have them record a video about how they would do a certain thing. Those are some examples of different kinds of exercises you can have them do. And I like to have those screening steps that happen so that you can actually evaluate that before you even start going on interviews with them because it's really not a good use of your time to be interviewing anyone who doesn't have the basic skills, because it's really easy to just fall in love with somebody. They're so wonderful and them not being skilled for the job. So you need to have them make sure that they're skilled and make sure that they have that right profile. That's going to really be a good fit for the role. I have found that the Colby A to be so incredibly accurate at determining someone's ability to actually do the job well. All right. That gives you some ideas about what you're looking for, how to screen them. The next step is onboarding and training them up. And that goes outside of what we can talk about here for this podcast episode. It'll just get too long, but I'll have to bring in my program director on this because she's the one who does it. I'm not involved in this. I'm involved in giving her feedback and just running our process, but somebody else is in, in charge of training them up so that I am not spending my time doing that as the CEO. What we're also doing is putting together this whole EA apprenticeship training program. That's one of the things that our program director and I are working on moving forward is, is to have this be a role that we can replicate over and over again, faster and faster. We already have training in place, but we're looking at what would this take to be able to put this into like an apprenticeship training program that you can replicate over and over again. And that's one of the things that we re actually recommend to our clients is that do you have a role you're going to need a whole army of as you scale. So executive assistants, as we continue to scale, as our leaders continue to elevate, they're going to need to have more assistance to support them. 
So this is a role that we're going to be hiring over and over again, and our clients will be hiring over and over again too. So we're going to be putting together this apprenticeship program. I hope this episode has been very helpful for you. If you know someone who is in the weeds, who has a consulting agency and they are just drowning and might need some extra time, do them a favor, share this episode with them so that they can be able to free up at least half of their work week with an assistant who can take an enormous amount of work off of their plate. It might take a little while to get into the groove of things. I just want to just share that with you too. It might take a little time to get into the groove of things. I didn't get to having half of my schedule removed from an EA right off the bat. It took some time to really get into the groove for them to learn the way I work and for us to really get into the groove of knowing what we'll be able to remove off of my plate in the easiest, simplest way. And one of the things around that too is, is just me learning how to let go of more and more things. So what will happen is, is that the longer you do this, the easier it is to be able to let go of these things and the more relief you get and the easier it is for you to travel for weeks at a time because you have somebody else who just keeps on moving things forward personally for your calendar. But then you have your operations manager who's also moving it forward for the entire business. This is one of these key things that can make such a big difference in your growth and really give you that bump. Like I was mentioning, you know, you could literally add half a million to a million dollars of growth just from this one role if you actually focus that time on generating more growth for the company. Hope this was helpful. This is Mandy Ellison from Hands Off CEO Podcast signing off.